If you or your loved ones suffer from hearing loss, then read books. Books! For those who love great storytelling and those who can't hear nothing. Books. To feel good about yourself because, wow, those authors are an absolute mess. And speaking of messes, I hope you enjoy this episode where Patrick O'Neill and I try to understand ourselves and the meaning of everything. <laughs> hey, it's Patrick O'Neill, and this is Drinks with Tony. Okay, that's good. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Patrick O'Neill. He's the author of Gun, Needle, Spoon. In France, the book was called Hold Up. He was a longtime roadie for the Dead Kennedy Subhumans and more, which we'll probably talk about a bit. He's also the director of Girls on Girls. Is that a porn film? Uh, no. Oh, because that would be a great title for a porn film. Believe me, I thought of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but actually it's about uh, women bands in San Francisco through the 70s. and uh, generations of women bands in San Francisco. Now, when you say for, oh, let me get through the, hey, Patrick, how you doing? Good, man. Thank you for having me on. Oh, you do that so well and so right. Um, so when you mean four generations of bands, were these like women who were actually birthed by other ladies? No. No, okay. no. But it was like started uh, with bands in the 70s, went all the way up to 2016, whenever I made the film. Yeah, yeah. That's right. I just jumped on your website before because I don't know anything about you. Good, nice, good, good prep work, man. Good prep work, you know. <laughs> I'm kidding. I interview you for the Chronicle for Gun Needle Spoon. Let's we'll catch the readers up to the to the um, to what they may not understand is uh, what do you, what do you call? It? It's not sarcasm. It's uh, what's the word when you're when you pretend that the thing I just did. Do you know the word? No. Yeah, I don't either. Fuck it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Patrick O'Neill, everybody. Uh, now, what, what what was the drink that you uh, just ordered? Because I think it was I think you ordered something in Swahili. Uh, you know, I, I I I'm kind of ashamed to admit this, but it's it's a matcha latte almond milk. Wow, yeah. wow. Did you ever have a you know like um, what do you call it? Um, <laughs> I'm trying to come up with a joke, and there's just no joke in there. Some of them are very offensive. <laughs> The joke is the drink I ordered. That's yeah, the joke, yeah, man. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> I, I no longer drink coffee because, you know, we come to that age. So I'm on, I'm on to the matcha latte, which has evolved as the hipster drink of L.A. Or, well, actually the world right now. Well, it costs seven bucks, which just blew my mind. I'm sitting there going, I could have got like two coffees and a, you know, pastry. Yeah, it, it's not cheap being a hipster. Yeah. You know, it's a little, it's a little, it's a little hard being in uh, Los Feliz, too. Oh, is it really? Because because you, you're over by uh, MacArthur Park, right? So, coming up here is just like you're going. Oh man, I'm coming. I'm coming up to the safe part of town where everyone's happy and they don't know the real shit. True that, man. <laughs> <laughs> but at least I have a, a Home Depot right next to me, so you know, it's it's okay. Yeah. I can I can you know when that thing falls off at home I can walk across the street and get a screw instead of having to drive five hours to get it. It's it's a different life, different lifestyle. Right, right. You know? And then when um if when you're working on those girl on girl films in your yeah. apartment you gotta uh, run across the street and get equipment in case there's failures, batteries yeah. and stuff. True that, man. True that. All right, let's discuss your resentment of not being on the show yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, how, how many years you done this? 
Um, well, I did it from 2002 until I came to L.A., and then I kind of stopped in 2014, and then I restarted in 2018. So there was a hiatus. And how long have we known each other? Uh, I don't know. Since, like, well, if it was the 70s, I would have been two. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know you when you were two. I think I introduced myself to you in San Francisco at a reading in 2009? Really? Yeah, 2010. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and um, and then no, it had to be before that because I, I hadn't moved down here yet, so it oh, was two thousand eight, two thousand seven. Yeah, why didn't I have you in studio when I was doing it on radio up there? Hence my resentment. <laughs> <laughs> I resent myself for that now. You've you've you've, you've like moved your resentment of me all straight to me. Well, actually, I was a, a lowly unpublished author at that point, so you probably wouldn't have me on, man. But uh. uh but yeah, and then and I'm like I'm like on Facebook and it's like you know, Tony Tony Duchesne talking to and I'm like, that motherfucker, you know, and like he's talking to some like a good friend of mine, like you know like like and then the next week another good friend of mine, the next week another good friend of mine. I'm like, okay, that's it. The guy fucking hates me. <laughs> Yet I see you all the time at every literary event I go to, and we always hang out and talk. <laughs> Well, it just kind of, so I, I just came, I was like, oh, I, I've had you on my, like, oh, I got to get, Pat, I got to get Patrick O'Neill in here. I got to get Patrick O'Neill in here. So what, so let me ask you something, because I know this is probably better than getting published and then everything else that has happened to your life. What was it like when you got the email from me asking you to come on Drinks with Tony? I'd finally made it. <laughs> <laughs> no, did the resentment like go away or was it even more like, fucking finally that bitch <laughs> I think it was more yeah. I think it was like well fuck him I'm not doing that you know I'm not gonna do it oh yeah yeah you could have held out you could have went no I'll show him I'll, show, I'll spite him yeah yeah <laughs> I'm really not available uh, yeah. right now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. can't do it. I'm sorry I got so many other podcast commitments right now man <laughs> yeah yeah and what was up with because you, you asked if you can swear and how people are like get scared of being of swearing on podcast I mean, podcasts offend me more just when they're boring, not when people swear. What is this offense of swearing? I'm offended by boredom and by just tedious um, egomania. I've been on a... Well, I haven't been on... Like, this sounds like I've been on a million podcasts. I've been on a couple where they ask you not to, uh, got to cuss, not to say uh, profanity. Really? I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. You know, ah, does, and also, you know, then then it's really hard for me because the whole time I'm thinking, don't don't say fuck, don't right, say right, fuck, right. and I'm all, and I go, you know, yeah, but I go, fuck, <laughs> it's just a bad thing, bad thing all along. I was well, uh, I was teaching a quarter <clears throat> a quarter uh, about a year ago, and I had a bunch of young students. Everyone was in like 19, 20, 21. This one kid goes, oh, shut the front door. <laughs> I look at him, I'm like. What the fuck does that mean? He said, oh, I mean, shut the fuck up. But I just didn't want to say fuck. And I'm like, you're a writer. You're supposed to say fuck. I, I actually was teaching uh, English at a community college and said the F word or something like that, you know, when it happened. And uh, they all recoiled. They were all, like, shocked. Like, their teachers don't say that. I mean, it's, it's become that kind of world right now. And they were shocked that a teacher could actually say fuck. Yeah. And I was like, you know, get used to it. Fucking get used to it. <laughs> I, I, my, the first week of class, it's fuck shit, motherfucker, right away. And, I, and then I say, oh, by the way, we're swearing this quarter. That just gets everyone on the same page immediately. Yeah, pretty much, you know. Yeah. It, it's a very expressive term. Why, why are we offended at swearing when there's so much other shit on this earth to be offended by right now? 
I, I don't know, but you ever seen that episode of, of The Wire where it's just fuck, 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 it's the best fucking scene in the world, man. Oh, yeah. It's so amazing and it's so expressive and so like crazy, like good, you know, like that, like that. If I could write that good, I would. I'd be impressed with myself, you know. It's like really cool like that. So, I mean, and that that's that's the argument why, you know, it, that, 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 that there's, there's room for profanity and everything. You know. And it doesn't even seem like profanity. Like, I like if I say, um, "Oh, you're gonna do a shit," or "Or are you gonna do a poop?" A poop seems a lot more intimate and descriptive to me. <laughs> and juvenile. <laughs> you ever read the kids' book? Everybody poops. No, but it, it's wait, it doesn't have it doesn't have pictures because I only read books with pictures. It's a total picture book. It's it's for it's for it's for kids. It's pretty amazing. My my my, my sister had a child. I can't profess to having a child, and uh, uh, and she and she bought the book for her. It was like pretty amazing. You know, everybody poops. Yeah. yeah. It's and it's it's so I think it's an American thing because like when you um I've I was watched I've watched like BBC documentaries and stuff or, and they'll show like you know they'll show you know human human feces and stuff and they'll be like and th- and if you look through this you'll see i mean they and they're not they're 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 not doing it in a comedic way they're doing it to show you when that happens in the states it, they blur out the feces i wish they would blur out the voices of people that would that would make much much more sense well you know in, in europe they they uh, actually show naked people and stuff like that in america we get upset if we see a nipple not a man's nipple only a woman's nipple or pubic hair or, or the lack of pubic hair or whatever the hell it is it's like it's like crazy you know it's like that what's it what's it, in Sweden it's okay to watch uh, uh, rated X movies uh, uh, and violence is, uh, is is rated you know it's like makes yeah. much more sense you know like that you know like it just it just it's backwards here it's backwards morality is such fucking bullshit in this city this yeah. city this, this city <laughs> this country it's, yeah. it's so insane you know like that you know because, I mean, we shouldn't be shaming nudity and we shouldn't be shaming sex, but we should be shaming violence. And, like, you go watch a PG-13 and they can have, you know, hard R violence. But, yeah, you show one nipple and say fuck twice and it's an R. Mm-hmm. That's, a, That's what we are. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, I don't know. Something's wrong with the system. Oh, just that? Yeah, something's yeah, yeah, wrong with exactly. the system. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a few other things, but you know what? Sometimes I think that contributes to the whole collective of why we get fucked up shit like you know people in office and stuff yeah ab- absolutely i mean i mean it, 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 that just starts there you know once you start blaming and shaming and pointing fingers that people are bad and people are wrong then we start putting this level of uh, uh you know i'm better than you and that just then there's you know then we have you know it falls into a uh, class you know class structure and class classism and it just it's it's really bad it's a really bad system and proven not to work you know it's up like it's like it was a it's like we're going back to before the 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 the, the, the age of enlightenment or something yeah. like that you know it's, it's just it's just like what are we we're regressing really quickly here yeah. we really are not just here but <laughs> not just on this podcast but but in the world itself it's like really scary you know yeah i was so i i came to the realization I, I, i'm not a, i'm not a politic guy usually but i came to the realization i'm like about two months ago i'm like holy shit we're having trump for another four years there's no way out. I don't see anything. So I went, So, but, here, but here's what I did. So I went to the Vegas odds. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to put 100 bucks on Trump, see what happens. Because if, he, if, if he's reelected, at least I'll get $1,400 because he's a long shot. No, he's not a long shot. He is, he's at the top. There, no, no one's near him in the odds right now. That is very sad and scary. You know? 
you know, I, I'm a product of the 50s. I mean, I was born in the 50s. That, you know, that's how old I am. And, you know, politicians back then were can, would be considered radical left-wingers right now. Republicans would be considered radical left-wingers right now, you know? It's gotten so bad, so, like, just so moralistic bullshit and stuff like that. It's just, it was, you know, insane. It's insane. We need more war. we got to go back to the wars. <laughs> I was thinking about that because people are getting so upset over certain things. And I'm like, you know, and I'm like, you know, we're still killing a lot of people. I mean, all over the world. It's Yeah. And there's a bunch of stuff that we don't even talk about. So, yeah. uh, you know, or they don't even talk about. We might talk about it, but we're, we, we don't. What do we know? You know, like that, you know, I don't know why that's off the radar anymore. No one. No one gives a shit about stopping war. It's about, you know, don't don't eat a puppy. Which I think everyone should eat a puppy. They're really tender. I think they should eat babies too. Uh, J- Johnson Swift. Let's bring that back out. You know, like that. You know, like it's just it's just gotten to be this this whole like I want to be horrified. Uh, you know, society that just just you know everything you do horrifies me because I'm so fucking morally right or something like that, or I'm so more better than you, or I'm so more able to be horrified by you because I have such these such incredible feelings or whatever the hell it is it just blows my mind I think people sit around wanting to be you know insulted you know I just can't wait to be insulted and then they can you know type off a little comment on Facebook or, or a little post or right. you know it's just so this 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 this, this fake feeling of community and intimacy it's just insane man you know like that you know I've been really wanting to get rid of my face you know facebook uh 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 whatever it's called <laughs> my, my get rid of my facebook you know but the problem is that being an author you need you need that platform and when you get published where hopefully i'll get published again right. you know they ask you well, how's your how's your social media platform if i go like i'm not on facebook they're like, like you know they'll do things like get on it you know like oh dude you know like that uh, so, but it's, at the same time, I, I just can't go on and look at what people are posting. I just can't, you know. It's like, man. Yeah, I, I've just, I, I've had, I got this new thing: unfollow. <laughs> you know what? Unfollow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You know. And essentially, for the most part, I, I only follow people I know in real life, mm-hmm. and then, um, and then some of them I stop following, not because I, I'll, I love them, I want to hang out with them. But they post Trump shit every like day, and I'm like, I don't want that in my, I don't want that in my brain. I gotta, I, you, we have to break up on Facebook, but I'll go get a coffee with you. Well, you know, protesting on Facebook is like it's like an oxymoron. You're just screaming to your people who have heard it and know it and understand it. Go out in the fucking street and do something. You know, go go like you know, go actually put your money where your mouth is and go like volunteer somewhere. Don't just sit behind you, sit on your ass and your at your home and type some fucking you know hardcore thing about Trump. You know, like that because it's it's not doing anything. And that that and that is the problem with it, of this fake community. In our minds, we're actually doing something and we're not. We're not doing. Shit shit you know and it's just it just it, it blows my mind and I, I always wonder where is everybody why aren't they out in the streets protesting shit and they're singing home and they're on facebook going this sucks <laughs> it's just crazy it's yeah. crazy and then they're like we need we need to, we need more unions and then they're like what should we uh, what should we order from postmates yeah, and did you get the uber amazon i need my amazon right now you know and i'm guilty of it too it's like it just it just it just got to be so so bad i remember back in the 60s and 70s people were boycotting companies and doing this whole thing like that, you know, and, and like now it's like, well, you know, it's really cheap over there. I'll go to Walmart, you know, they're, they're, they're so what if they like, you know, totally horrible people like that, you know, like that. But I, on, for the for the record, I've never been to Walmart. Just want anybody writing into me and telling me they hate me for going to Walmart. Never been. See, I I had to go to Walmart because I had a I had a credit card and no money <laughs> at some point. 
So I did go to Walmart a few times to buy groceries. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Good man. Yeah. It's cheap. Did you ever watch the thing where they, they, they shame people for being in Walmart, for like naked walking around? And you ever seen the people at Walmart stuff? Oh, the online stuff with like the, the weird, like the low level people. Yeah, yeah. It's got to be staged. Yeah. I mean, people can't be that weird. I don't know. What do I know? You know, yeah. I don't go there. What do I know? Exactly. I'm better than you. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick, I've known this all along. <laughs> right, right. Hence the resentment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> every, every time I see you, I'm like, God, you're, he, he's better than me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh my God! He's like he's got a he's got a great relationship with a lady. I don't have that, right? You know, but if you only knew it was going on in my head, you know, like just like it, I'm, I'm no better than anybody. Actually, I'm much worse. I'm much worse than everybody. Everybody. How, how did you meet Jennifer, by the way? Uh, up in San Francisco, uh, she was a friend of my friend, and when we met through. Uh, another friend of mine was going out with her, and then after they oh. broke up a year later, we ran into each other again and uh, and uh, uh, started hanging out. And then we decided we wanted to make it something more than that. And um, I was living down here at that time, so yeah. I was making a long-distance relationship going back up to Marin County and coming because I was teaching online, so I didn't really have a schedule other than oh. that. So I was able to go up there, yeah. back and forth like that. And so we did uh, about seven years of about five years of a of, of long-distance relationship, and then Jen just said. I'm moving to L.A. I was like, oh, really? And we moved down here, and we uh, got an amazing loft downtown, and then, well, close to downtown, and then we, uh, uh, then I popped this question, and so we've been married two years. Congratulations. It's pretty cool. It's pretty yeah. cool. It's really good to be, well, I hope I'm healthy enough to have a good relationship. <laughs> I sure wasn't before. <laughs> the, um, the, what do you call it? And this is your first marriage. Absolutely. Absolutely first marriage. So good for you for diving in at such a young age. Exactly, man. I figured do it now or like, you know, be dead, you know, like that. No, I, it was, I really wasn't the kind of person that anybody would want to be married to back yeah. in the day. And it was much better to, to, you know, to at least be a decent person so I could be a decent person to somebody. That, that was kind of devil thing. I said twice. But, you know, I, and, you know, it just I had, I had to learn how to, what a relationship was and how to be a good person, you know. Yeah. And, that, and that, that's the difference. That's ser- seriously the difference. I was in a million relationships and they were all really bad. I mean, you know, like, you know, yeah. Well, I mean, there, you were in relationships where you're like, hey, let's go rob a bank and get some, uh, <laughs> right? Exactly. You know, you know, if, if she had to be able to steal horses with me, then it was okay, man. You know, like, that was like, it wasn't good. Or, you know, I was, I was always, at, you know, find somebody that had an apartment and move in with her and, you know, that kind of stuff. As long as she had a job and I could, you know, hang on. It was bad. You know, that kind of stuff. You know, really sleazy guy stuff. That, you know, sleazy artist guy stuff. Right. You know, like bad. Well, let, let's bring the audience back to uh, exactly because you're, you're um, author of Gun Needle Spoon, which is a memoir about you robbing banks and going to prison and being on heroin, and you you've been a you've been a felon up until a couple of years ago, yeah. and that all changed because Governor Brown, uh, what you I don't know, he pardoned me. I got I got a governor's pardon. How, how cool is it? To be part, to be like a person that's been pardoned by a governor, I think that's just like the raddest thing ever. It sort of fe- feels like you know, like back in the cowboy days, governor pardon. You yeah, know, it's like yeah. just bizarre like that. But uh, yeah, and, uh, this woman Natasha Diana, uh, who's an amazing uh, writer on her own se- her own right, who's also a lawyer, yeah. she uh, got me a, a 
through a lot of hard work, got me a, 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 a certificate of rehabilitation, which automatically put me on the uh, governor's desk for a pardon. And then uh, I, 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 you know, a year, a year after that, then on, on, on Christmas, uh, uh, the Christmas Eve, he called, well, his, he didn't call me. Jerry Barnum called me personally. Hi, Patrick, what are you doing? No, uh, his assistant called me and said, we're pardoning you. Wow. Yeah. And so now Full Circle, and so I'm going to this little plug here, yeah. Full Circle, uh, Natasha Dion has put together something called Redeemed, and it's going to be, uh, we're, and I'm, I'm on the board of directors, and we're going to be uh, doing the same thing for other people. So this, this year we're going to be tw- doing 25 people, and the next year we're going to do 75 people, and we're connecting writers and lawyers together uh, to help people get through the paperwork, because the paperwork is unbelievable. I mean, I'm not kidding. When the first, uh, when I first uh, uh, went in for the certificate of rehabilitation with the state of California, says you were rehabilitated and worthy of uh, uh, the governor's pardon and things like that, I had to fill out a hundred pages at least, and uh, you know, with essays and, and letters of recommendation and everywhere you've worked, everywhere you you you've lived, everywhere that you know anything. So they can check you out and look at your background, and a lot of people are undaunted, are are daunted by that. By that, uh, you know, um, and I get to be admit, to 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 be honest. If I was still using or even in early recovery, uh, I wouldn't even try to. I just would say screw this because basically there's not a lot of trust in the system either, you know. So we're gonna do this whole thing where we're we're, we're gonna we're gonna pair uh, people with writers and lawyers, and they're gonna walk them through the, through the system uh, through, through the whole process, and the writers gonna we're gonna write you know help them write. All that crap that I had to write, and the lawyer is going to back them up and, and go to court for him. And it's really amazing. It's, it's you know because we 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 really brand. I mean, I I know this firsthand. You know, I'm not as bad as a lot of other people, but you know, I I was at two strikes. I was a two strike felon, but looking looking close to three strikes. And uh, you know, it, it's 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 the red letter on you. I mean, you know, I applied for a million professorships and teaching jobs and assistant teaching jobs and adjunct teaching jobs, and I checked that box. And the box isn't have you ever been convicted. The box is, have you ever been arrested? Which is like insane. And so that, and so I never heard back from any of those people ever. You know, I, I'm not people. Those organizations, those schools. And so it's just, it's just, you know, you you are you're screwed. You're totally screwed. You know. And so, you know, if you you have a couple convictions early on, youngster, that's it. You know, you're not going to get hired. You're you're going to look at going to working at McDonald's. Nothing wrong with working at McDonald's, but, you know, you're not going to be able to go any above that, you know, anything like that. So, you know, l- luckily I, I knew some people. I was I, I had a lot of I had really good connections, and I was able to get into a, uh, an assistant teaching gig. But uh, but even in that school, I never went any farther in that school. You know, they, they never hired me on to be a full-time teacher, you know. And that's really hard. It's really hard, you know. So, you know, it's just it's 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 time to change things. It's time to bring people out of the, out of that that kind of a uh, uh, criminal justice system like that. So yeah, yeah. The, the thing is, and here's I mean, this is a this is a problem that I've struggled with, where like they they base people on credit scores and on arrest, yeah, yeah. and but they have no idea. Like especially someone who's been like were you or you've where you've been in prison, and you've had to do so much work to get where you are now I feel like you're a way better candidate for anything than people who have not been through the struggle and gotten out of it that where I think that should hold more clout in our society than oh he just has been kind of you know doing the right thing and keeping his nose clean and oh by the way he got a gun because he pushed everything down and he's shooting up a school 
<laughs> right, right. Way to go with that. Like, ah! Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was trying to lull you into agreeing with me on, like, something terrible. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. That's not but, but at the same time, they're like, I, you know, when they do background, like, after after those horrible things happen and massacres happen, they're like, he was such a quiet guy. We just, we didn't know him. He seemed so nice. And it's just like, because they aren't dealing with their struggles. They aren't going, they're, they're, they haven't been dark and then had to pick themselves up their brain just snaps yeah absolutely you know i mean going if you want to get out of the system if you want to not be part of that whole recidivism rate and all that kind of stuff like that you got to put make some changes you got to go in there and like you know and you know not everybody can not everybody is financially well off enough to go do that or, or given the opportunities or or a lot there's a lot of reasons it's, it's going to be stuck there like that and so it, it's just sort of you know it's it's it's, it's, it's like I said, things got to change, you know, like that. So, you know, yeah, it's a really good cause. It's a really good, really, really good organization. And, and I remember from interviewing you for the Chronicle and reading your book, I don't, I don't know which one it was. I, you know, I don't know where our references are, but when I bring these things up. But um, we, I, what, what was I talking about before I explained myself? <laughs> <laughs> when I interviewed you for the Chronicle, it was for Gun Needle Spoon. And, oh, yeah, so you were... Uh, the the ju- so, well, I'll let you tell the story about when because you were almost about to go in for like yeah. twenty plus years, yeah. right? So, and the judge, the the, the judge was like, they, I'll let you tell the story because you were there and I wasn't. I'm right. I'm summarizing your book and right. Right. other things we've talked about. Well, ba- basically, uh, you know, I can't, I got arrested for multiple counts of armed robbery, and uh, I really didn't have a criminal record before that. And I walked in, and they they basically from the gate, uh, the judge said, uh, uh, "You're you're here on on two uh, two two or more armed robberies, and we're thinking about putting, giving you 25 to life." And I, I was I was like, I was like dumb, I was like shocked, you know, and I and I and I just. You know, I didn't think rules applied to me back in those days. And I said, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Like that. And then they kept arraigning me on more charges, more charges. And basically, the whole thing was they're going to give me twenty-five to life. They're going to three-strike me because that was still happening back then. This was ninety-seven, and uh, it was, I was, I was. It's just you know a bastardization of the law. You know, I mean, they they were literally going to just keep convicting me down the road. Like one more, one, two, three. Okay, you're gone like that. You know. And so even when the, uh, uh, even when I got got a deal, which which I got a deal which was two strikes and, and, time, and, and, and basically uh, time served and two more years in, in prison. So it was like four, it was four years uh, sentence. I, uh, 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 the, the DA came to me in, in, in the bullpen out in the back of the courtroom and said, you know, uh, a guy like you is never going to stay clean. He's not going to not commit crimes. And so we found a cost-effective way to deal with people like you because you'll do your time, you'll get out on parole, you'll commit another crime, and then we'll put you away for life. I was like, whoa! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, all right, you know, just let me out of here. Let me out of here, you know, because I was a drug addict. You know, I was like, I was, all I could think about was, get me the fuck out of here. You know, so it was like totally like, you know, like, and he, and I got out, and I went, I almost immediately went back to using drugs, and it was like the guy it was self fulfilling. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, put the brakes on this, you know, like that. So, because you know, I mean, the time I did was such a waste of time. You know, it's it's not so it's not so much like you know, so scary as it is just incredible amounts of boredom, you know, boredom just punctuated by moments of intense violence, and it's just like it's just like 
the worst place you'd ever be because the, the mentality is, is just so mundane and there's nothing creative going on there. There's nothing but just, you know, the usual bullshit of, of one another, people treating each other like shit. You know, that, that's the whole environment, you know. Everybody being as bad as they can to each other. And it's like, wow, do I want to spend the rest of my life here? Hell no. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, the... How how was it? How did you, how did you change your how do you change your life then after that? Because that's a huge I mean that's a huge change. You just don't I mean do you just go one day and go ah, that's it or do, I mean what do you, what do you do to get off the drugs and I mean because also like bank robbing I mean was, was there was there had to been a high to that in the armed robbery and so now you now you don't get that anymore. So. Well, I mean, I, the, I, I always, always tell this story is like literally it was my birthday and I was on the yard of San Quentin and I walked out on the yard and like it's not the kind of thing where you tell everybody it's your birthday and like, hey, it's my birthday. Like, you know, like, fuck you. You know, but I walked out there and I looked around and I was like, you know, how did my life get this bad? Not how to, you know, I knew how my life got this bad. It was a rhetorical question. But how, how did it come to this? What, what, what am I doing here? And I, I mean, in that moment, I thought like, I'm never... I'm never coming back here. I'm not gonna. I'm just not gonna come back here. And so I got out and I went to like a a, a program that was a, a, a wasn't really twelve step kind of program. It was it was Walden House in San Francisco, and it was it, it's a it's a behavior modification program. They 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 scream at you and yell at you until you're a piece of shit. And I'm like, yeah, I know that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I do that in my brain all the time, so I'm already in the program. How'd you know? You know, and uh, uh and I was there for I was there for eighteen months and um. You know, and I, I got out, and, and if you would ask me if I was ever going to use again, I would have told you, no, I was never going to use again. I had it all together, and then I got the apartment, I got the girlfriend, I got the job, I got the car, I got everything, all the trimmings that made my life look good, and shit, something happened, and I, life showed up, and I had no nothing to deal with it, no support system, and within a week, I was uh, shooting dope again, on parole, you know, absconding, you know, like the whole nine yards and about to commit crimes when I put myself in another rehab. Yeah. So, I mean, that's how, that's how insidious the heroin addiction is and, and the bank robbery and everything else, their whole lifestyle. And I tell you, there's still moments in my life where I feel like I'm a lame, you know, because I can't do those things, you know, like yeah. that. You know that, you know that end of, uh, of uh, Goodfellas where, where he's like, where he's like, he's in like Arizona and he can't get a good marinara sauce. And oh, he's, he's, a, he's a schmuck and he's like a nobody and he's like, this, uh, this town sucks. You know, I feel that all the time. Time. You know, it's like yeah. this whole whole thing, but but also, you know, I'm not waking up dope sick. The cops aren't looking for me. You know, I'm not on parole. I'm not in prison. You know, I mean, the, the payoff is the, the trade off is huge. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, for yeah. for those fleeting moments. So, and there was also nothing glamorous about it. There was nothing fun about it. Yeah. I mean, believe me, there were some moments that were really awesome, like thrilling, incredible moments. Of, yeah. You know, high speed chases and sticking guns at people. Those are all these. You know, fantasy stuff, for, you know, like that. But then if you look at the reality of it all, you know, that teller who went home, whose life was, I just ruined, yeah. you know, and like her kids and her family and all that stuff like that, you know, you know, putting people's lives in danger, like take, make the streets of San Francisco at 100 miles an hour. I mean, all the reality of it, when you, when you start getting, you know, woken up and, and start seeing, you, you know, the reality of you, how your actions cause things to other people then it's not glamorous. There's nothing cool about it at all. You know, I mean, you're just a piece of shit, you know, against the grain of the universe, you know? And I, I just like, that was like a, a mind blower when I sort of saw that kind of thing. And then it's, it's like, 
you know, I, I got to do everything I can to, 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 to turn that around, you know, like that, you know. And that's why I've worked in the, as a drug and alcohol counselor for, for years, and, I, and I'm actually back doing that now, too, you know. Yeah, you know, because it's give back. It's a little bit of give back, you know. Well, and I find it really intriguing that it was, um, do, do you think that on your birthday when you were in the yard, do you think that moment was the turning point? I, th- I think it, I think it was. I think it, it really was. I mean, I mean, you know, because well, I mean, and I'd already stopped using in in in, in, in cars, but in county, I stopped using it and in, in, in prison too. Because because if you're not in the mix, if you're not doing, if you're not part of a gang, if you're not in the mix, if you're not, if there's nothing they can get from you, if there's nothing that that that, that they want from you, you know, I'm talking they as a general people, uh, other other people in prison can get from you or you're involved with or anything like that, then they pretty much ignore you. You know, so I just stopped doing drugs. Like I always, I just want to, I could, I could do it when I get out. I just rather do my time and get the hell out of here, you know. And uh, um, so, I, so I kind of got a clear head for, because like, then it was like, you know, good, good six, seven months of not shooting dope. And uh, uh, I kind of had a clear head. And so on the yard that day, it was really like I really saw my life with what it was. And the fuck part is like, you know, I'm from San Francisco, and there I am, you know, 15, 20 minutes away. You know, on, on on the bay, on, on the bay, sitting there going, you know, like fuck, you know, this is just this is this sucks, this absolutely sucks. Also, you know, I, I grew up I grew up as a, a kid who was artistic and in music and writing and, and art and shit like that. There's none of that there. There's nothing like that, you know. And it's just like, you know, I want something. I want I want something better. I want I want, I want something with meaning, you know, like that. You know, so late in life, <laughs> you're like, I want something meaning, you know. It's like, but at least. There was that change. There was that change there. Otherwise, I was going to be dead, and I was going to be dead there, you know, or someplace worse. I mean, there's other prisons that are much worse, you know. And also, I think people get people are well. I mean, even me, I'm scared of change. I get I get anxious when things go well for me. I'll get more anxious when good things are happening and when bad things are happening because bad things feel normal. I'm like, oh wait, oh there's that same shit going on. But when something good happens, then I'm like. It throws me for a loop, and I, I've been I've been working on that for the past few years because I know I self sabotage myself. Then and then I don't return those phone calls, and I just pull back. I'm like, wait a second, you know I can't wallow in this. What's wrong with me for not not just following through? You know, it's, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's like depression. Depression yeah. feels good because it's yeah. it's familiar. You know, even though I'm curled up in a fetal position in my bed and I can't get out, but there's something really familiar about that. And it goes back to being being dope, dope sick and a bunch of other stuff. There's a certain dysfunctional weirdness that just sort of like, oh, yeah, I remember what this is. Yeah, this is kind of good. And that's not good. It sucks. It's horrible. You know, I've been depressed all my life. I'm clinically depressed, you know, like that. You know, and that's why that's why I self-medicated for years. Like, you know, and it's not an excuse or anything like that, but it's just like... You know, I gotta really do contrary acts not to not to just buy back into that. You know, shitty feelings about myself and this and that. I, I still feel shitty about myself. Hell yeah, on a daily yeah. basis. Yeah. But, but you know, a lot. Of, I just I gotta continually uh, 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 not listen to the story I tell myself. I'm always telling me the story. I'm always making up reasons. This is that and like that. I'm always like, oh, that person hates me. Like, what the hell is that about? You know, like, oh, you know, you know why they're not calling me back? They hate me. Yeah. <laughs> You fucking break here, yeah, yeah. you know, and things like that. You know, it's just I just I, I just I just gotta you know say what it is, you know, and like and I and I gotta stop letting my fears make my own my decisions, you know, and that's that that's where I was for years. You know, I was like really I was like really fearful. I was like afraid of everything, yeah. and that's really hard to admit, you know. And then you're vulnerable. Then you're all these things, you know, like that, and like you know, we get taught all these 
things to be men in society and stuff like that. And it's taken me years to unlearn all that shit. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, and I'm much happier. I'm much happier, you know. And that in itself is how I can be a better person in a relationship. I'm not having all this stuff tying tie me up with these this ideals that aren't even my ideals, you know, yeah. that someone else gave me, you know, like, you know, or I learned on television by watching Gunsmoke or something like that. You know what I mean? Just like, what the hell? You know, so it, it just, you know, just it, it, it's just there's there's something, you know. I mean, that's another reason I went to, went back to get my grad my my, my MFA was be around people that were thinking and and, and had ideals and were intelligent because I had been stuck in such you know such places that that, that wasn't things happen that wasn't happening, right. you know. And I really needed to be around people that were like you know actually thinking about things and, and questioning things and not just going with the status quo. And that that you know, was amazing. It was amazingly huge, you know. That, and that's why I, I tend to mainly feel comfortable with writers because we're all weirdos. We're all a little socially deficient, and it's okay. And but we, you know, the good ones, like, are asking the questions, yeah. the, the the big humanity questions that I'm always asking. That you know, they some of them are doing it way better than me. <laughs> but but you know, I'm still learning craft. <laughs> Yeah, but at least you're asking those questions. Yeah. And before, nobody was asking those questions. And nobody was thinking them or they were too afraid to ask those questions. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's, that's then we're just getting like a bunch of sheep. And, we, and you, know, you know, we need to be, you know, more proactive. And, 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 you know, and, and that, again, is, is goes back to, you know, protesting on Facebook. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know that's, that's just not happening. And I, I think one of the things as, as writers what we can really do is be as subversive and as uh, uh, outspoken as possible, even if it's just writing that book that says that, you know, because somebody's going to read it. It's going to get out there, you know, and it's not going to be this limited. Well, with my books, maybe limited, you know, but it's not going to be just this limited audience, you know, like that. It's going to be, it's going to be, you know, at least some people out there. There. You know, like they're going to read it that, that I don't know and, and, and that, you know, will maybe give them a different point of view. God, I hope that doesn't sound pretentious at all fucking hell. <laughs> you know, there's the reason why I haven't had you on the show, because you're always like this. <laughs> so preachy, pretentious. Get the fuck yeah, off. Yeah. You're like, you're my mate desert sun drink right there. What's Is there an umbrella in that? Should have been. Should have been. I got burned. There was no umbrella in it, man. <laughs> It's interesting when you're so it's because I would think when you're in prison the the you the last thing you want to do is have clarity you want to be wasted and so but you had enough clarity to know that if you got into that um, that rotation of needing drugs that then there was going to be problems from the from the other inmates after a while. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, I didn't have enough money to keep a habit. And their drugs aren't really cheap in prison, as much right. as like people like to say they're actually twice as expensive as the street. And so I, I really couldn't maintain a habit. And I'm not the kind of addict that, that can, you know, moderation. That's never been my, yeah, yeah. <laughs> never been my my strong suit. But what 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 really changed for me is I, I started writing in, in in there. I was going to a writers group and I was doing, and that's where I, that's where I became the I became the writer I wanted to be. And I thought that I was I was not a writer before. I was I was a filmmaker and then a, a visual artist. Just like yeah, I do, yeah. do comics, and I was an illustrator, and I was a musician, you know. So I don't, I was never somebody that wrote down, you know, wrote that actually wrote, you know, yeah, like that. And about, actually, by the time I got to prison, I, I was pretty literate. I was just a drug addict that had, you know, never hadn't looked at words or anything like that. And so I sort of just really pushed myself to try other things, you know, and start doing it. I start writing again, you know. So not again, but writing for the first time, you right. know. Yeah. yeah. 
And that, I think that's great because I, I know some of my buddy Alan Black in San Francisco. He's teaching at prisons now. There's, there's a, I see a lot more. Maybe it's just because it's on my radar, not, not that there's actually a lot more. But there's a lot more. It seems like there's a lot of outreach for writers to go to prison and teach writing. Do you remember who your instructor were when you were in there? No, I know I don't. But it was the program Annie Lamont's dad had started because he was actually the first uh, teacher in, 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 in San Quentin. Yeah. And so it, it was a writer's group, and I, I couldn't really remember who it was. Yeah, I'm not really a lot of clarity on that, on that whole thing. Yeah. It was really like that. You know? hey, but that would be someone that, um, that, that would be, I bet they would have a lot of fun knowing where you are now and yeah. that, they had that they had that part in your process. Absolutely. I mean, I wonder about those things. But, you know, I've gotten, uh, I've gotten like, letters from guys in uh, prison. I actually went up to uh, Vacaville and uh, uh, went, uh, went and, t- and taught, at, uh, taught a, a writing workshop at, at, at the, the men's, uh, uh, at the, at the, at the uh, uh, it's the medical uh, uh, hospital okay. where guys, it's a medical prison, actually, yeah, where there's, yeah. like, for, but it's like dudes who are doing life or they're in there for mental health issues and stuff like that. Yeah. And I was in a, uh, I was in, I was in a, in a pod with, like, 75 lifers and we did, we did I did a lecture and then we talked about writing and stuff like that it was like really amazing it was like uh, just outrageous I mean, I, they actually need people if you ever want to go up there it's pretty cool it's called the Writers Guild it's really really pretty interesting like that and there's you know, there's other programs like you know Wayne Kramer uh, from MC5 he does jail guitars and they, they actually take uh Musicians and guitars into prison and teach people music and and, yeah. and get them get the music musics like that. And there's, I hear there's something here in county jail in L.A. Well, there's there's she writes, which is the one that that, that does for women's and juvenile juvenile hall and stuff like that. And there's some other thing for for men, but I, I don't I don't really know what it is. They haven't, you know, I haven't really been able to crack that nut, you know, like that. So yeah, but I think it's a really good thing. I mean, it, it you know it it. it the problem with a lot of people in jail and prison is that they don't feel heard, they don't feel seen, and so giving somebody a, um, an ability to express themselves, whether somebody sees it or not, you know, is is pretty pretty amazing, you know. I, I haven't listened to it, but I heard about the, the San Quentin doing that podcast where they they got a podcast, and I, and that just makes so much sense to me because you have to be on really good behavior in order to do a podcast, and and for me. I mean, I'm a radio guy. I'm a radio guy from a kid. That would be such incentive. It's like I'm, like, I'm almost like, oh, really? Do you, do you need like General Pop to come in? And because I love doing this shit. You know? Yeah, it'd be pretty amazing, man. You know, and like you know, I can tell you for firsthand, anybody brings anything in, into 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 your wherever you're, whatever institution you're incarcerated at, it's it's breaks up the monotony, and and that people are so you know grateful and thankful that you're there, and they're just like so cool. I mean, I did that thing in Vacaville; those guys were so amazing. And we sat there for three hours, and the, and the guards going, "Well, you're done. You got to get the hell out of here." And these guys got to take these white guys to chow and like that. And they're going, "Is it okay if if we don't go to chow and hang out? Can we hang out with him and just eat it for a little bit longer?" And that guy was, "Yeah, but that's two more hours. That, that's when movement happens again. We'll come back for two more hours, and like we're cool with that." And they all like almost about three quarters of the guys forego dinner and just hung out with me and we just hung out there and just shot the shit about publishing and, and writing and all they all want to be published but you know yeah, yeah. I'm going good good luck <laughs> Cause, cause you're not <laughs> all Ed Bunker <laughs> this kid's not getting this kid's not getting published <laughs> you know but it, but it was like really, really cool and and like the, the two people the two the two the two uh, cons that, that were running the thing had uh, uh, read my book and shit like that and were passing it around to other people and stuff like that so, like, so I guess I was like getting read, real red in, uh, in Vacaville uh, so that's pretty interesting like that. Yeah. I also donated, there's also a 
couple of organizations that donate books to incarcerated, incarcerated, uh, uh, but well, to, to, to incarceration libraries, and I donated about uh, ten of my books to, to see if they go out, get out there. But I, I have no control where they go. It's it's a it's a national organization and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool, like you know, like that. I did get a a, a, a cell phone photo from somebody in some institution with my book, like you know, <laughs> in their cell with like check this out. I'm like a friend, a friend, a friend sent it to me. It was very cool. Like yeah, it's pretty cool. You know? Do you put a little dab of acid on page 57? Absolutely, man. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> Though who would want to do acid in jail or prison? I don't. Well, Whitey Bulger. We know it. Now look what happened to him. You know. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't done any really hard drugs. I tried cocaine like I tried cocaine recreationally twice, and then actually in the hospital. When I was a kid, they gave me pharmaceutical cocaine because I was bleeding, internal bleeding. That's a whole other story. But um, but it didn't work for me. I, that, that's as far as I went on it. It's too clean. It's too clean? Well, it's uh, uh, pharmaceutical cokes, too clean. Oh, my. The dirty shit with, like, diesel fuel in it. That's what gets, that's what gives you a good buzz. Just, I got, just for future reference. You know, just, <laughs> well, no, I was internal bleeding. I was in ICU. Okay. They were like, you're going to die. You, you're going to die tonight. And, and I was still Jehovah's Witness, so I yeah. fought the blood issue because they were like, we need to give you a blood transfusion. And they were like, we'll prep your blood. And I'm just like, no, I would rather die. This was my conviction. And then they, and then they, I had to have the cocaine to get my stomach pumped, right. and they were doing it through there and all that. And so I'm in ICU with all these people that are about to die, and I'm feeling like, fuck yeah, what a great night. It's like 4 in the morning. I'm like buzzing the nurse. I'm like, is there a TV? Is there a TV? She brings over. I'm watching Dick Van Dyke reruns all night. I'm like, this is fucking awesome. <laughs> that is so awesome. They, they couldn't give me any morphine? They went straight. Well, I think it was, uh, I think they had to get quick. So they had to do the, they had to do the, yeah, so they had to numb it and constrain the blood vessels as fast as possible. So it was the pharmaceutical, and they did. They were like, they were like, hold your nostril, okay, now suck it in. And I was like almost screaming. I was like, ow! And they're like, you haven't done coke before? I'm like, no. I, yes, I know I look like a sleazy drug dude, but no. They're like, you haven't done coke before. <laughs> I was, you know, I was like, I was a college radio DJ dude, kind of. I, you know, I, I dressed the part where I, in San, I was in Market Street, walking to the Warfield. You know, I'm laying, and then all of a sudden, I'm laying in the middle of the street, and they think another drug addict, but they don't realize that there was more to it. So, oh God. I had internal bleeding. Yeah. Wow. When, when did you stop being a Jehovah Witness? Um, I'm not. I still am. <laughs> I read your book, but what age did you only say in your book? No, no. Well, in the book, it's a compressed, uh, very compressed. So I left when I was 19, came, no, wait, I left when I was 20, came back when I was 22 because I thought I was going to die at Armageddon. That's when I did my little college radio a couple years. And then, um, and then I ended up kind of like a little fading out and then I got married and then I stayed in with her. Um, the day... What's that? Did you stay in to get married? No, um, I could, I, it would have been easier to leave and get married, but, uh, I ended up like, I... I, I essentially found the coolest Jehovah's Witness ever, which is, in real life, not a very good person. But I mean, that's a, but the best I can get in the Jehovah's Witnesses, and um, and then I was like, oh right, cool, because I still had that belief system. I would never have married outside of it. And then it was a few years later where I went, you know what? I made the decision in September of 1999 when we were still married, and I said, I can't go to the Kingdom Hall anymore. To her. And it blew her mind. And she's like, can you just, oh, just come once a month? Because that was just put in enough show. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. I cannot. Because they're saying stuff from the platform on the stage, the elders, that are making people feel bad. And it's wrong. 
and I'm going to raise my hand and I'm going to tell them this doesn't apply to everybody because that teenage dude can go preaching 90 hours a month. But that single mom right there with the two kids, you don't even know what it's like to have a single mom. You don't even know what it's like, and you're making her feel bad. And I remember my, I, I wish I took, a, I wish I had a selfie of my wife's look at the time, because her face was just like, yeah, okay, um, but sure, don't go to meetings for a while. And I was just like, no, I don't think, I don't think you understand. I'm out. And um, but I was intellectually out. It took me about seven years of therapy to can get kind of emotionally out. It, it and and it's still stuck in there a little bit. Wow, that's amazing, man. So, so you didn't need drugs. You didn't need to be a drug addict. You had your own thing. You know? <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Well, and then so many Jehovah's Witnesses, when they leave, they're like drugs and orgies right away, right? But I was just like, I'm just going to film festivals and writing. And they're just like, well, what kind of gay shit is that? And, I, and if I was doing gay shit, I could have got disfellowships. But I wasn't doing that either. They, they were so confused. <laughs> well, maybe, you know, like, you know, it's better. It's better than you get, a, you get a huge heroin addiction and go to prison. Right. You know? <laughs> but yeah, and I, I've, you know, I've seen Jehovah's Witnesses go that way, but I kind of just kind of had my thing and I was all right with it. And I didn't have to. And, and then it took me a while to like engage. And one of the, I mean, one of the reasons I really started Drinks with Tony was this was a couple years after. And I'm like, oh my God, I can connect and talk to people that are so called worldly that are on the other side of this and but actually we're comrades and so it was kind of a mind meld of getting together with humans which was just so far if we weren't studying the bible together right now there'd be no reason to hang out with you so <laughs> i'd be horrible at that yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, i don't know who said this <laughs> yeah, yeah. well now i'm reading other books about the bible and the gnostics uh, scriptures and stuff and i'm just going and you know there's some really heavy shit i'm just going all right when you come into, it's called R and R. When you go into go into, into like any of the prison, the CDC, which now is CDCR, yeah. uh, you, you, when you come in, you're like in R and R, and basically you're into in a cell, two man cell, uh, for, you know, from anywhere thirty days to ninety days, and uh, uh, you have nothing, absolutely nothing. The only book you can have is the Bible. Yeah. And so I read the fucking thing. I read the goddamn thing. I'm like, Jesus Christ, this piece of shit. You know, but then they get these like really violent parts, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he smoteth. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the, it's like, whoa, like that. But it was the first time I ever read the thing, you know, like that. And for a few years, I could, you know, quote back at people and shit like that. But I yeah. lost, I lost all that because I just don't care. Yeah. Like that. Plus, my, my memory of, of anything like written is like doesn't seem to be that good like it's, right. it's just weird you know like that other thing visually I can remember things a lot better but it's like, like you know books like, I have the gist of them but I can't quote yeah. like you know fucking guys like Rob Roberts like they just go well, so and so wrote boo, 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 right. boo. and I'm like motherfucker yeah. how does he do that you know <laughs> I think he prepares in the morning <laughs> That would make sense. Yeah. Though I know Rob. I don't think he prepares shit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, it, it just, I, I, it just, you know, it's weird being someone that writes memoir. I have, yeah. I have these vivid. Well, I talk about this in my, in my, in my first book too. Is that that I, I have these vivid memories that I'll never get rid of, yeah. and I can remember those. But mundane shit, like what I ate last week, that's oh, that's yeah. history. That's history, you know. And it's like, it's like, and also the worst is like people. I get introduced to people and I'm like, oh shit, you know. I like they're they're gone in like twenty minutes like yeah. that, you know. Like and like you know, then then we, me and my wife had this thing 
Okay, I'm telling this thing, and people are going to know this. When I don't, I cannot remember someone's name, even though I've known them for 20 fucking years. We walk up together, I just said, hey, this is my wife, Jen. Right. And she knows that, that, that and she goes, That's hi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, what, your well, name is? is? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Before, she's like, why didn't you introduce me? Like, I don't fucking know who they are. Yeah. Like that, even though I grew up with them. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's funny. You got to know the, yeah, that's, I, I mean, I have that code, too, with yeah. my friends. Where it's if we're, especially if we're going to an event, it's just like you know, um, oh, well, I'll introduce you if, and that means I, I forgot their name. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I'm overwhelmed at large gatherings. So if I saw the person on the street, I'd be like, Tim, yo, what's up? But when when it's just a mass of people, then it's then it's just like, hey, hey, hey. It's the pressure. Yeah. It's the pressure to perform. You know, yeah, <laughs> performance yeah. anxiety. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm I'm good in like the classroom and stuff like that. Like I'm I'm, I'm good in those kind of situations. But it is it is in social situations, especially after you introduce somebody like the fifth time. Yeah. Then you're just like, fuck, my brain's just jello at this point. You yeah. know, just can't do it. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. You know, and like I hate small talk. I yeah. fucking hate small talk. Yeah, yeah. And yet I go to these things and just have to chit chat and shit like that. And it's just like, oh. What, what are you working on now? Are you published? Are you getting it published? When's it getting published? I will not ask that person, that, that, a person that question anymore because I hate to hear it myself. Yeah. You know, yeah. you writing? Yeah. You writing? You know, <laughs> your book coming out? No, no. <laughs> Anyone who says that is doing really good. They're, 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 they just got their advance. They got the check in the mail. <laughs> Or they want to commiserate in their agony of not being able to do anything. Oh, you know, right. like, oh, you're not writing? Neither am I. You're like, oh, good, good. Stop writing. You suck. You know, like, <laughs> oh, my God. Do you know how many people I wish I could say that to? Right? I know. It's like, oh. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's this thing people do to each other that's just like, just, it's, it's, it's not good. It's not good. Yeah. I'm like, how, I'm like, how's it going? And, and, you know, and, and I, I don't really want you to tell me how's it going, you know? Yeah. I'm just like, hey, how's it going? Like, I like you. Let's just, you know, hang out and like, just talk and like that. Right. We don't need to do this whole other thing, you know, like that. I mean, I, I love to hear people say, you know, it just got published and this is happening. I'm right, like, really right. cool. And it took me a long time to be that guy that, that, that was happy for other people getting published and everything like that. Because right, right. I wasn't that guy at first. I'm like, fuck, why not me? Where's mine? Right. And I realized that I don't want to be that person. I want to be that person. Like, yeah, you got to be generous. You got to care about people. To, yeah. You have to. Especially in this game because it's so fucking hard to get a book out. You know, to even get the book down and dialed in. And then you get it published. That's like a fucking miracle, you know. And then you make a movie of it. Nobody. I don't know anyone that's done that. I think I know someone. I know one. I think you know. <laughs> cool though. Very yeah, cool. Yeah yeah. 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 No. And then now, now I'm writing the essays about the depression and after and post production and because it's a mind fuck. People are just people just assume you're counting your money and you're just happy. But the, the people outside of the writing world and the screenwriting world, everyone in the screenwriting world just goes. Welcome, brother. You all right? And you're just like, no, I'm not all right. And they're like, well, welcome to Hollywood anyway. They don't even give you. They don't even give you help. They're just a welcome to Hollywood. It's nice. That's it. Exactly. Well, you know, all, 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 like I come, I come out of the, the punk rock world in San Francisco, and like all these people back there, I think like, oh, he's got a book out. He's got it made. And I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> it didn't even pay my rent. Yeah. <laughs> and I worked on it for three years. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's like crazy. That's crazy. But man, you know. That is, yeah, the San Francisco thing. I think people, a lot of people in San Francisco who I'm, you know, like kind of friendly with but not friends with just assume that, oh, you're in Hollywood. They're thinking I'm driving along Malibu in my convertible every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right. It's like, oh, no. They they don't know I'm in East Hollywood. I'm in my studio apartment. Um, I'm like, all right, well, let's go to Los Feliz and pretend like things are okay with Patrick. (laughs) They're, they're all jealous of not getting on your uh, your podcast like I was like I was. 
Now you're like, why did I do this? <laughs> right? Jesus, this was horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to... The thing is, I like you, and I was trying to save you from the... <laughs> Little did I know you're my 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 wife. You have me an, an answer for you. Know, whatever. Very good, man. Very good. Yeah. No, but it's interesting the um, the resentment thing because I've I've you know I like over the years you know I've been like going oh my god why am I resentful of this or or even the even the film my, my film coming out where things went like things went really bad on various levels but. And, and but not with not with the cast and not with Eric Stoltz right. who was great, right. but um, but the cut of the film, I'm it. I like it, yeah. and I, I talk to other people and I'm whining about it. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking, I was talking to Jerry Stone. He's like, "You like the final cut? <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> and I'm like, going, "But you don't understand, man." And he's just like, "Shut up." <laughs> yeah, right. I can only imagine what he thought about uh. uh well, he probably didn't say anything about it, *Permanent Midnight*, the movie, like that. Like, it was kind of a comedy of his life. Like, oh no, <laughs> you know, it's 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 careful what you wish for. That's all, you know. That's like that. I mean, I'm I'm dying for Gun Deal Spoon to be made into a movie, you know. But what will I have any creative control over that? What's going to happen? Who knows? You know, like that. You know, so. Well, the next movie, if there is one for me, if they if like the, you know people that be decide, they can have all the creative control and just give me the money. Like every single time. They're like, they'll be like, you know what? We want to cast the person that's you as a woman, and we think it's Julia Roberts. And I'll be like, great. Is that another $120,000? I totally agree with that decision. I take that note. Move forward. Exactly, man. Exactly. Don't fight it. Just go with it. Just go with it, man. Go put a down payment on a condo somewhere. and. I know that would that be nice yeah. to actually we actually own something and live somewhere and you know like you know that's the other thing it was like the being a drug addict for a million years like the overwhelming thing weighing on me is like my future not, not like like my future future like like am I gonna be working till I'm ninety now because I like pissed off my youth and I didn't put any money away it's like insane you know and like people like like us like you know there's no five hundred one ks and there's none of that stuff like around it's just like oh my god you know like that you know sometimes it's just like it's hard to just get up and go to work in the morning it's like what am I doing this for. It's like paying the bills and shit like that. Yeah. You know, it's like we're making a million dollars here. It's like just insane like that. I always like these people think they're going to get these, you know, and I, I wish them, I wish them well, that they're going to they're gonna get these, like, like they point at some other writer and say, that person got, you know, a six-figure contract, you know, and they don't realize that. They don't realize that that's like hitting the fucking lotto, you know, like that. Yeah. Or at least maybe it is for me, you yeah. know, <laughs> you know. And people don't understand when someone gets a six-figure contract and they have to work on a book for three years, yeah. it's paid out in three chunks and they're making less than a bank teller when it comes out in the end exactly you know like that also if you, if you look at any book you've written no matter what you get paid you're getting paid less than minimum wage if it because it takes you forever to write the thing unless you're somebody one of those annoying people that knocks off a book a year you know like that and even then it's, it's still not that greatest pay you know really you know like that it's like you know it's just it's just it's a mind blower you know i mean i mean sure you know the weirdos like John Grisham and Stephen King knock off, you know, you know, trillion billion sales and stuff like that. But that, like I said, that's that's just that's that's not the norm. It doesn't happen, you know. And 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 it gets eaten up in taxes anyway because it's like it's like a gift. Like basically, it's not even like a salary. Yeah. It's like you got paid one lump sum for like selling a painting or something like that. It's like insane, you know. You can't even say what well, it took me three years to do that. Right, right. Like no other profession that happens, you know. Well, I mean, all the arts profession. But no, like no other like job does that happen. You know, yeah. you get paid hourly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh no, you're screwed. 
I, you know, and I've had this, I've had this thing. I, at the same time, I'd just, I'd rather be in this position and, and work until I'm 90 yeah. and do this than anything else. Because if I was working a corporate job and I knew I was going to get out when I was 70 and go golfing around the world, that sounds awful to me. Yeah, absolutely. And just realize that I'm just complaining that, that yeah. that's all I was doing because you're right. This is what I do. Yeah. You know, and I, someone someone said that was saying the same thing. I said, you know, this is my job. This is what I do. Yeah. You know, and I and I, you know, I know that I'd still be writing even if I wasn't getting published. Well, I, I know that right now because I'm not getting published. You know, you know I got a, I got a novel in the can sitting around. Nobody wants it. And I got a, I got a memoir. I'm trying to get another memoir. I'm trying to hustle right now. So, you know, it's like it's just. It's just what it is, man. Now, is that the memoir, the the roadie years with yeah. the DK and uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's called it's called Anarchy at the Circle K, which is a reference to the the, the, the sleazy uh, uh, 7-Eleven that's out on the, on the highways, and it, it's uh, it's it's the the 80s uh, all the way up to some part of the 90s, uh, and it's uh, uh, on on the road with uh, Dead Kennedys and Flipper and T.S. Well and Subhumans, and a few other bands in between there, and uh, uh, I go from being a roadie to like head of the road crew to be road manager. And uh, uh, it's just, you know, it's, it's it, I like to say this, it's actually when drugs were working. Yeah. It's back in the days when, when I might have been strung out, but I wasn't robbing banks and killing people for my money. And I was also, you know, I'm also like pretty reasonably uh, responsible. I mean, I didn't rob any of them. I didn't steal from any of the bands. I, didn't, I was just, you know, I was that guy out on the road. I was like, you know, doing what I love to do. It was pretty amazing. It was an amazing time at punk rock too. I mean, it was like it was like every, everybody. We were crisscrossing the country and seeing other bands and going to everybody else's shows. And it was just it was just awesome. It was like really great. So it's 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 like it's the precursor to Gun Needle Spoon is what it is. Right. And and in those years, people were not doing people weren't playing punk shows because they were hoping to get famous and get on The Voice or American Idol. There was no money. It was just people. And once in a while, someone got a paycheck here and there. Well, I mean, I I I I, work, I wrote I mainly worked for Dead Candies, and we 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 were get, we were going to be one of America's premier punk bands, and we went for it was that was, that was the huge that was the internal argument that was the big argument going on is we were getting we outgrew the clubs we we were playing, and then we were into halls, and then we were, we were about to go to arena. And uh, uh, that was the big problem between certain band members that, 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 that there was a, like a lot of money to be made and were we selling out or not it's that old punk rock crass thing, you know. And, and, and so we were, we were kind of we stuck in this thing. But the problem was we were playing 6,000, 6, 3,000, 4,000 seat halls and there'd be another 3,000, 2,000 kids out front. There'd always be a riot, there'd always be problems. The cops would always come down and beat people up. And so we, we got into that that level that we 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 just had to make that make that transition, and so it was it was pretty, it was pretty amazing. I got, I kept, got paid well, and I worked I worked for them for about six years like that. You know, I also I also ran the art department for Turner Botanicals and things like that afterwards. So I was involved with Kennedys for a long time, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just it's just it, it, it's. You know, it, it, there, there was there was bands that made it. You know, and, and you know, on the flip side of that, I, I road managed Flipper on one tour, and it was, you know, it was it was the real bare bones tour. You know, yeah, yeah. you know, all in that bread truck of theirs and across country. You know, it's like oh my god, and all this strung out and horrible and bad like that. You know, so I mean, it was it was it was it was feast and famine and different things. But 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 working for the Candies allowed me to work for the other bands that I wanted to like that. So there was a lot there was a lot of trade off there. And I was like you know have to deal with Biafra all the time. And stuff like that it was kind of hard, you know. Yeah. Did we get paid all of our money? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, and I was I was a screamingly strung out heroin addict, and none of them knew. 
you know, it was like insane. It was like totally insane. You know, it was like just like so. But it was, but it was, it was, it was that kind of, it was that kind of era. You know, it was like kind of, you know, we just gotta, we just gotta make it to New York. I'll just be able to score. Right. It'll be good like that. So it was, it was cool. You know, like that. So I, I really, I, I, it was, it was really, it was kind of a fun book to write. It was kind of cool. It was good. Oh, and it's finished. So you're you're kind of pimping it right now for the for yeah. The I got uh, I got two agents reading it, and agents don't like me anyway, so nothing will happen there. Right. And I I got a press reading, and I'm saying that to some other people gradually yeah. and slowly. I I'm, I really don't like the the bathing suit competition of trying to sell things or sell myself or sell whatever. Because in nonfiction, you're selling yourself basically. You're selling your story. You know, and also being judged, and it's, it's just really hard. I I, could, I just you know, and the thing is, you know. I don't want to sound egotistical, but I got a couple books out. I mean, why the hell am I still having to hustle and, and say, here's this thing? Why can't I just say, I got a book? And if they really want to know about me, I don't, I, send, I got to send some kind of cover letter that says, I did this, I did that. And like, it's a, you know, that's not, it might sound egotistical, but just it, the, the process sucks. Yeah. You know, the, the submission process, the publishing process, also the publishing industry is a fucking bloated piece of shit, you know? And their whole thing is like, you know, putting all their money into one title and then the other titles yeah. fall apart, which doesn't make any sense at all. If you split that money amongst all the titles that, that, that season, you'd be like, you'd be, they'd all do well, you know? And it just, it doesn't make any sense at all, you know, like that, you know? And, you know... You know, you know, agents, agents, and presses are all saying we want the next thing, but they don't want the next thing. I've said this for years. They want, they want the 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 next thing, writing the same old thing. You know, they want another voice saying just writing the same old thing, and, and like, oh, look how adventurous! It's just the same thing they want to hear. You know, yeah. like that. You know, so I don't know. I, I'm I'm a definite niche market. <laughs> Patrick O'Neill, thanks for being on the show, man. Good, you got it, man. Thank you. I finally. Appreciate it, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Now you resent me for having you on the show. <laughs> Absolutely. New resentment. New resentment. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Patrick O'Neill on Drinks with Tony. Check out his book, Gun, Needle, Spoon. Hey, thanks for listening to Two Fellas Discuss Their Emotions. In fact, I might even change the name of the podcast to that. Two Fellas Being Emotionally Chatty. I feel like I already have a good rotation of guests on for that. Uh, if you look in the archives, Michael Marcus, Rob Roberge, Dennis Cruz, others. It's already there. It's in the archives. I could create the podcast. It would be like group therapy and I could stop therapy myself. All will be healed via microphone and podcast feed. All right. Have a great weekend. I'll see you next Wednesday.